Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. This is the weekend edition. Coming up on today's program, a cold weekend ahead for the east and uh, some other weather information that I think you'll find uh, interesting and uh, potentially somewhat helpful. A couple other headlines to take a look at. Also, preview what's coming up this weekend here on KPCG and at the uh, trumpet.com as well. And a look at a very important law to help you be successful, one of the seven laws of success. We'll take a look at those and more today at Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG, online at kpcg.fm. This is the weekend edition. Where did the week go? They go so fast, don't they? It evaporates every week. It's crazy. It just goes right on by. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. Uh, We had a colder week here in uh, Oklahoma. Warming up now, though. It's going to be nice over the weekend, maybe even a little rain, which would be good. We could use that. Uh, The East Coast, though, they're different. They're going to have a cold weekend after this uh, uh, massive storm that came through. The uh, Arctic blast could make temperatures feel as low as negative 15 degrees to negative 25 from Philadelphia to Boston and make residents of states like Maryland and Virginia shiver from temperatures ranging from 10 degrees to 15 degrees. The wind chill could make it feel like minus 35 degrees uh, in western Massachusetts, the National Weather Service said. So they're going to have a very cold weekend. Uh, so there's football this weekend, playoffs. Your Bills are finally playing, but they're not playing in Buffalo, are they? Down in toasty Florida. Mm, it's too bad. <laughs> I always, I always much rather, ins- I'd much rather see, I guess, um, cold weather games. I just find them to be more interesting. And the Bills seem to have a much bigger <laughs> advantage in a cold weather game, especially against a team that's from Florida. I know the cold makes a difference, obviously. And uh, as a kid, I played out in the winter times all the time. You know, with different sports and I. But I don't understand why it makes such a big difference. Like sometimes you see some guys, and it's like they're obviously they're professional level athletes, and then it gets cold and they can't do anything. They can't catch it. They can't throw it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that much different. I mean, I know it's cold, and if you're out there wearing mittens, it would make <laughs> it harder. But so it really bothers some people. It does. I, I think some teams they play in a dome all year, and so if they ever go up to a place like Buffalo and they're getting f- several feet of snow dumped on them, it's a big change from you know a climate-controlled 72-degree dome, uh, and whereas Buffalo's playing up there half a season, and then some of their other road games might also be cold. So they just get a lot of in-game experience that probably helps a lot. I think that's one of the things over the years that has made football interesting is all the different cities have their different, uh, you know, weather. And so you have to, not only are you playing the team, you're playing the weather. You're playing the, like, the mystique of Lambeau Field or buffalo where it's cold and <laughs> snowing I, I always like that i and i don't like it when the cold teams build domes the minnesota vikings what are you doing use your <laughs> use your advantage make it make it cold out there uh al gore has something to say about the weather uh he said that bitter cold uh, is exactly what we should expect from the climate crisis former vice president al gore has weighed in on the record cold and snow in the u.s he said it's bitter cold in parts of the u.s but climate scientist dr michael mann 
explains that's exactly what we should expect from the climate crisis. However, Gore's Oscar-winning documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, uh, did not warn of record cold and increasing snowfalls as a consequence of man-made global warming. As recently as 2009, Gore was hyping the lack of snow as evidence for man-made global warming. So, uh, and there's a there's an article you can read where it says Gore reports snow and ice across the world vanishing quickly. I can't keep it straight. Which one is it? <laughs> we're gonna have more. We're gonna have less. How can it all be affected by man-made climate change? It's amazing how no matter what the conditions actually are, every single one of them was caused by climate change, and. I guess for some people who don't believe in God's power over the weather, you would have to think of some other uh, crazy solution which, or, or some other crazy explanation for these types of things, hence why the climate change hypothesis even exists. I think they're just, uh, I think they lack credibility, just quite frankly. I mean, when you keep changing the, the story and, and, you know, whatever they said the weather was going to be, it does the opposite. And then they say, well, of course because of the climate change just just you know even a commoner like myself somebody that's not a scientist of the weather you know you think well that doesn't make sense you know which which way does it go so uh but keep in mind we're not scientists so right we just, we just don't understand that must be what it is <laughs> must be what it is but uh uh so anyway there's a really good book at the trumpet.com on uh, why natural disasters that you should uh, look at because it does get to the heart of the fact that uh there is a god that does control the weather and can make it do what he wants. He made it in the first place. So uh, really worth looking at there. And there's a really good Kia David about uh, some of the climate change stuff as well. So you can look at that at thetrumpet.com. Excluding hurricanes of this last year of 2017, there's a list here of the five most expensive storms in U.S. history. They're looking at this in relation to this big storm this weekend. And, uh, of course, this is excluding the hurricanes of 2017, so <laughs> those, are, those are huge ones, too. But anyway, the top five. Number five was U.S. drought and heat wave in 2012. It cost uh, $32.4 billion. Number four was U.S. drought in 1988. I remember that. $42.4 billion. Number three, Hurricane Andrew, August 1992, $48.1 billion. Number two was Hurricane Sandy, October 2012. That was $70.2 billion. And then number one, again, excluding the, these last uh, hurricanes this last year, uh, was Hurricane Katrina, August 2005, $161.3 billion. Those are the most expensive storms. And then, of course, you factor in the ones from 2017, uh, along with the fires and everything else. You start adding that up, you know, that, that's, uh, it's not a blessing. You can say that for sure. And we're reminded every single time something like this happens how – ill-equipped our government is to handle such a massive disaster that would be like on a personal level if you got in a car wreck and totaled your car most people just wouldn't have the money to pay for that unless they had full insurance coverage uh we don't really have i don't think that much of a safety net when it comes to the national government and so you're just printing money or you're borrowing more money uh which obviously is causing a lot of other problems as well and, but even this year, we were hearing about how we can't have too many disasters in a row or else our our emergency crews just can't keep up with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. If you think about the, the these expensive disasters, and if you put it on a personal level, like you made your own list, here are the wor- most expensive disasters I've had in the last 20 years. You know, everybody's probably going to have a few things like, well, I had to fix this and I had to fix that. But, you know, if you were having major, major things all the time, you'd probably stop and think, like reevaluate some things. What am I doing? Like, why why do I keep having all these huge expenses (laughs) that I'm not expecting? Yeah, you'd have to get back to the cause of it if 
none of your friends or family members are experiencing anything like it, it, it does start to stand out quite a lot because uh, we have been hit probably more than anywhere else in the world with all these different weather disasters. It's been very expensive. So anyway, there I don't know what the expense will be from this weekend's uh, storms out there in the East Coast. It's been going for a few days, uh, you know, snow, record snows, I guess, and then flooding and then uh, very cold coming in afterwards. Canceled a lot of flights. I think they closed a few major airports for a day, and that delays everybody. Uh, it did work out to the advantage of one lady. She got booked on a flight that was empty. <laughs> she tied really? up to herself. Yeah, it was, it was only apparently for, like, flight crew and staff to get them somewhere else, and she got on there somehow like it was a mistake, and she had a plane to herself. So, <laughs> you know, hey, for everybody else it was an absolute disaster, but for this lady she got like almost like a private a private flight. She got to see how the flight crew really behaves when they don't have all these customers to serve. <laughs> that would be interesting if you're on there, you know, and they you'd you'd be like the one to get the drinks, right? The drink <laughs> service. You're like, well, whenever you're ready, I just keep Anytime. them coming. <laughs> <laughs> keep the uh, the warm tea coming to me. Uh, so anyway, interesting uh, weather phenomenon this weekend. Here's something related to weather that I think that uh, might be helpful to people. I've never tried this, so I'm just going to put it out there as something you could look into. You, we've all had this where you wake up in the morning and your windshield's frosted. And you think, oh, here we go. So I always, I try to anticipate it, and then you know, my my uh, go-to is always you turn the car on and let it warm up ahead of time, which works great. Uh, although, I guess it's, it's technically it's illegal in Oklahoma. You can't leave it running, mm. not being in it. So there's, there's that. But then also, uh, it takes time. And sometimes people don't realize, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be frosty, and I got this frosty window. So what do you do? Well, this uh, guy, uh, he's a weatherman. He has an idea. Uh, it says, defrost your windshield in seconds with this weatherman's genius trick. <laughs> now, usually when you read the headline, you're like, well, that's just a, an ad for something. But this this is, apparently this guy says this works, and he has a video on it. Ken Weathers, that's his actual, he's a weatherman. His name's Ken Weathers. <laughs> so I don't, either he was destined to be a weatherman or he made up a name. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, what he does, he has a recipe for a simple mixture that will get rid of the frost on your windshield in seconds. Again, this is what he claims, so take it for what it's worth. The secret ingredients, what are they? Uh, rubbing alcohol and water. Weathers explains the solution in a video, so you could find this online if you want. That was originally posted a year ago, but has picked up steam again because of all the cold uh, weather. Uh, it's been viewed more than 16 million times, so people are watching this. Here's what to do. He says you mix uh, one-third part water and two-thirds part rubbing alcohol together. Pour it into a spray bottle. Spray the solution onto your windshield, and uh, the ice will disappear instantly, he said. He said the reason why this works is rubbing alcohol has a freezing point of 138 degrees below freezing, so you can always keep this mixture in your car, and it will never freeze. So some people were concerned that it would damage the paint on their car and other things, and he said you wouldn't get enough on your car. So anyway, I'm, I'm not saying you should do it, but you might want to look at the video, see see if it's worth anything. I don't know, but it's an interesting thought. Well, that's incredible just that it doesn't freeze, even if you just left it in your car, uh, even if it's like down at negative 35 like it has been up in Canada recently. It, it's just not going to freeze, so that's actually a really convenient way to do it. I actually heard a story years ago, and I don't know if it's true, but I heard it. Somebody was telling me that it was in a very cold part of the country. Uh, I think it was up in Alaska. And a uh, person, it was very cold, you know, probably 30 below zero or something. And there was somebody working, and they happened to have a bottle of alcohol in their vehicle. 
and uh, whatever it was, I think it was a pretty hard alcohol that has a different freezing point than water. And so they thought, well, I'm going to take a drink of it. And they did, and it killed them because it was so cold that it didn't freeze, but when it, when it, when they drank it, I guess it froze, or I'm not exactly sure how that works. So Ooh. Don't know that that actually happened. It was kind of an urban legend, but I I thought, wow, that's interesting. You do have to pay attention to just uh, the when things freeze and then the temperature points. Yeah, I think that would probably make sense because we wouldn't dump something that's boiling lava hot down our throats either. It's just... Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't normally think of it going the opposite direction like that. That's oh, that's scary. <laughs> Something to think about as you're laying awake at night. I wonder how that happened. Uh, the cold weather is affecting a lot of things, including schools. We we were talking the other day about how it was cold here at our studios uh, because we, the heat went out and it got fixed quickly, thankfully. But it, you know, we came in and it was probably about fifty degrees or so, which you know, inside of a building is pretty cold. This is happening in the Baltimore school districts. Baltimore can't catch a break. Uh, this is unacceptable. Former linebacker and current teacher Aaron Mabin decries frigid Baltimore schools. Aaron Mabin, he was a 2009 first-round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills. That's right. Who is, you remember him? Mm-hmm. All right. Who is now a teacher at Matthew A. Henson Elementary in his native Baltimore. So that's kind of neat that he went back there to do that. Uh, and he's an artist, too, uh, apparently. <clears throat> so he's uh, he got some notoriety because of his past uh, uh, sports uh, accomplishments. So he's he's talking about how cold it is in the schools. People are listening to him. The 29-year-old posted a video on his Twitter account on Wednesday of him talking to his young students. And they look to be <clears throat> no more than about eight to nine, uh, nine years old. And they're all wearing jackets. Uh, and they said it was about 40 degrees in the classroom because the heat went out. So... Um, Obviously, some of those schools probably aren't the best schools in terms of most updated, uh, and they're having problems there. So a lot of people are getting pretty upset about this particular school district in area in Baltimore and the cold weather that the children are having to be in, and then it gets to be this, it comes back to a racial thing. I mean, that's what some people are saying. Well, this is a racial issue because it's an inner city school. It's an interesting story. You feel bad for the kids. You know, you won't want to have to be in a cold building like that. I've read some about it, and it seems like there's been actually a lot of money allocated to those schools, but it hasn't been used. So I, there's a lot going on there, but not a great situation. But again, just trouble in Baltimore. I do wonder how much uh, each each location's taxpayer dollars go toward the schools, because uh, it does seem like in almost every case, the inner city schools get a lot less money. And maybe because those are poorer people paying taxes, it, they might not get as much funding. But even then you would think that the government would, would try to subsidize that. I read one stat, and again, you know, <laughs> there's always arguments over what's accurate, but that actually they, they received a fair bit of money mm. from the government. But I think, if I understood it correctly, there's uh, some laws built in to try to prevent fraud. So you have, I think, from what I read, you have two years from getting the money to put it to use you know, a contract to build a building or something. You can't just take it and then sit on it. So you have two years, and if you don't use it, it goes back. And some of what I've read said, well, they had the money, but then it didn't get used, and a lot of it went back. So I don't I don't know exactly, but uh, in any event, you can just see a lot of people in Baltimore, when you consider the murder rate, the fact that the police are not as welcome as they used to be, some companies are hiring private um, uh, security firms now. The kids are cold in the school. 
not not good things happening in Baltimore. I mean, you really and probably a lot of inner cities. It, it is a problem. It does need a solution. It really does, and like you said, it probably is happening happening in a lot of places. Uh, I would think a, a lot of those similar issues are there in Chicago or Los Angeles too, and we do have to try to get back to the cause to figure out how to solve things like this. Um, is it just a matter of throwing money at it, or do you have to uh, really think of uh, more practical solutions? Yeah, and th- there's a lot of issues when you look at some of those places. Uh, family destruction, the family breakdown, crime, violence, uh, you know, difficulty getting into a, a, a good school. So there's no doubt there are problems. I don't think anyone would deny that. But what becomes the argument then is what is the cause? And, you know, it's, it's easy to point the finger at somebody that has more and say, well, you're the fault because you have more, I have less. But and then some, maybe there's something to that at times. But you do have to look at you know yourself too. That you know if you take it down to a personal level, and again you're having lots of difficulties. You know you have to look at yourself. Like what are you doing? What what's uh, are you working towards a solution or causing more problems? And we have to look at whether calling these different things racial issues has helped the situation. Has has pitting uh, minorities against police or minorities against uh, I guess people not living in that area really helped any of those situations. It, it does seem like doing something like that would just basically stir up a lot of bitterness. It wouldn't really help people try to help themselves. It's just, oh, I'm going to blame these other people for the problems that I'm experiencing right now. There's no solutions that ever come from that. Yeah, a lot of blame floating around right now. So, um, And then, of course, I guess it gets pretty hot in the summer in some of those schools, too. I, I mean, I was trying to think back to when I went to school, and uh, you know, we were very cold in most cases in the north. Uh, they'd have heat going in the building, but no doubt you're going to be cold anyway, especially when you get those big schools. You know, the high school I went to had three stories, and you know, it was a big, pretty big complex. And, uh, yeah, they had the heat going, but you were, still, you were going to be cold in class. There was no doubt. Not like this. I don't think we were that bad, but uh, it was chilly. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, got to deal with it, I guess, to some extent. But hopefully they can get that uh, fixed because no doubt it's, you know, no one wants to send their kid to school when they got to sit there and wear jackets. Unless maybe they're going to school in an igloo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to wear several layers to offset mm. that because 40 degrees inside actually does feel a oh, lot yeah. colder than 40 degrees outside. Absolutely. Hard to concentrate. Uh, here's an interesting uh, note that's been on the news here the last day or so. Uh, from uh, This is from money.cnn.com. Major chip flaws affect billions of devices. So uh, a lot of people work on uh, different uh, computers. We're working on them right now. Uh, they say major chip flaw affects these uh, billions of devices. Two major flaws in computer chips could leave a huge number of computers and smartphones vulnerable to security concerns, researchers revealed on Wednesday. A U.S. government-backed body warned that the chips themselves need to be replaced by complete uh, to completely fix the problems. Oh, no problem. Just go, go and all buy new computers and smartphones. Uh, the flaws, <laughs> they said, could allow uh, an attacker to read sensitive data stored in the memory, of course, like passwords, or it could look at uh, what tabs someone has open on their computer. Uh, so there's billions of devices that could potentially be uh, impacted, although, you know, they haven't been impacted yet but they're they're alerting people to this anyway and uh, the data is supposed to be protected and isolated but researchers discovered that in some cases the information can be exposed while the processor queues it up 
So the more you know about computers, I guess the more sense I would make. But uh, in any event, there's some vulnerabilities here. Uh, researchers say almost every computing system, desktops, laptops, smartphones, and cloud servers is affected by uh, this particular uh, bug. Meltdown appears to be specific to Intel. So there's two different, you know, they always give them names. <laughs> One of them is named Meltdown. That's uh, <laughs> specific to Intel chips. They say more specifically, all modern processors capable of keeping many instructions in uh, flight are potentially vulnerable. In particular, we have verified uh, Spectre on Intel, AMD, and ARM processors. They say it's important for all users to update their devices when new updates are released. So I think they, they always release like security patches that they want you to run on your computers and things. So who knows? Uh, but anytime you, you know, we just live in that age where so much is done on the computers that I- inevitably there's some vulnerabilities there. And really, if someone wanted to, they could really uh, damp- devastate the whole system just just by hacking into it the right way and shutting off uh, really important aspects of society. Obviously, this is just talking about uh, computers and, and phones and such, but, but still, I mean, if a ton of people, if millions of people can't access important data, you're, you're going to think that's, that's probably affecting infrastructure and a lot of more important aspects too. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and then if, if passwords and things get stolen, obviously that's a huge deal. You know, you mm-hmm. have your identity theft and bank accounts and all of that. So, um, you know, if somebody stole my passwords and paid my bills, I wouldn't mind <laughs> from a different fund. <laughs> but uh, that's not what they do. They're, they're not uh, being kind. There's so many stories about this now where people are just there's just so many vulnerabilities and a lot of different ways that scammers are coming up with to try to exploit those. Uh, it wouldn't that be a big change if people were just honest and not trying to be lurking in the dark and taking advantage of things like this. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would prevent so many, uh, things from happening, of course. So it is, uh, interesting. I don't know. I don't think any company's going to go out and buy brand new <laughs> hardware, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> there are some, I guess, security, patches that they're going to put out there so you have to just keep your eye out for that and uh, just always be careful that's the, the big biggest thing there was that guy that was doing the uh he'd send that email scam around where he claimed to be a foreign prince and mm. he needed your money and stuff and they found that guy i think he <laughs> lives somewhere in the southern u.s <laughs> he was claiming to be like a nigerian <laughs> prince or something he just got busted a couple of weeks ago no way so after all <laughs> this after all this time it was one specific person who was doing that basically yeah, in that in this particular case it was oh. this one guy so they they found him and he wasn't even from nigeria or wherever <laughs> he was here in the us the whole time i would kind of wish he was from nigeria then he could be like well you know because i remember in those the, the grammar was always way off and so i always assumed like okay it's somebody that doesn't speak english as their first language mm. And, and maybe that's the case. Maybe they were, you know, not from here originally. I don't know. But <laughs> it was, yeah, it wasn't a good scam. I, they must have caught somebody they are up in the scam to keep doing it. But just the fact that the grammar was so off, you think people would be like, this can't be. <laughs> this, can't, this is too good to be true. That the, I, This guy has all this money and he wants me to, like, you know, give him some money to get it into the country or whatever. There was a parody of what what it would be like if all of these emails were actually truthful and this guy was walking around his his pockets were stuffed full of cash because the Nigerian prince had had given him all that money and then the prince was following him around he'd actually moved in with him and become <laughs> his best friend and like he he tried all these different magic pills that had improved his health 
But then there was this one email where you you know how they say you better pass this on to thirteen people or else this person's ghost is going to come back and haunt you. That's how it ended. So too bad that guy didn't take that one seriously. Yeah, if only all the scams (laughs) were true, what what would we do? It'd be terrible. You could just read it and know you could believe it. That would actually help with uh, the media too. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, Speaking of technology, this is not good news, I guess, for the smartphone uh, industry. They say the this from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, cooling ardor for flashy smartphones spells trouble for suppliers. People don't want to spend a thousand bucks anymore on smartphones, and they're just kind of jamming all these new phones. iPhone, the iPhone uh, uh, X, I guess, uh, or ten, whatever they call it, is is kind of the example where oh look at all this stuff we put in there, including a bigger screen and, and all these things, and people are like, nah, no thanks. Like the one I've got's fine, and I don't want to spend a thousand dollars to get a new one. You figure at some point it's got to saturate the market to where people are, you know, how many of it, we've talked about this before, but if your phone can do a hundred things, which I know it can do more than that, how how many things do we really use? Four, five in most cases. Some would be more, but I don't use, I don't use even a fraction of the things on my phone. I'm sure there are ways to, to some, somehow mobilize that device to make sure that it helps you in every aspect, but most of us are just not going to be able to use it in a productive enough way to find all those different things that would help us and these things did used to be a status symbol at least you know when the new phone came out you wanted to keep up with your friends and have the latest model uh but it it, probably after a while people get tired of paying all that money just to keep up well and i've i've had several different ones over the years because you you know you after a couple of years stops working because the apps now are updated and you need new ios or whatever so, you know, you get another phone, and uh, the difference between the one I have now, say the first one I had maybe 10 years ago, I kind of do the same basic stuff. Mm-hmm. I, if that other phone was still, you know, operable with, with say, the new apps, I would have kept it, I'm sure. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I just do the same basic things. So, anyway, there that market might be drying up a little bit. Who knows? Here are There's a list here of some jobs that are going to be going away, they think, in the next 10 years. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this might affect some people, but some of these jobs I didn't even know were really jobs. Uh, but here are the, the top 10 jobs that are going to be going away, they think, between 2016 and 2026, in case you need to think about this. Number 10 is telephone operators. Going to lose 23% of their, their jobs. I didn't even... Telephone operators? Like back in the day when you'd call somebody and they'd patch you through to somebody? Yeah, that's not talking about like people out of business or anything that are taking calls, right? I'm not sure. They didn't give specifics, but anyway, huh. I'm not even sure what that is. If it's they're talking call center or something like that, maybe, maybe that's what they mean. It sounds like a like where you just use a payphone and try to reach someone. You yeah, know? like it, I don't know. I didn't even know those still existed. Not sure. Anyway, number nine, they say computer operators. Isn't that everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Eight pourers and casters of metals. So that's a pretty specific job, I guess. I imagine a lot of it's just going to be automated. Foundry mold and core makers. That's the seventh the job that they think is going away. Number six is electric equipment repairers on uh, for motor vehicles. Number five, watch repairer, I guess. I go to the watch guy sometimes, put a new battery in there. I've gone there really recently. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, they, somehow that's going to go away, they think. Number four, word processors and typists, I imagine. There's more software where you can just trans, you know, the audio, make the audio into text, so... Uh, third would be parking enforcement worker, <laughs> like the people that go around and give you tickets. Uh, yeah, probably the lower level of police officer. Yeah, this is probably all automated. Uh, second, respiratory therapy technician. 
Um, and then number one, a locomotive firer is going to lose 79% of the jobs. I didn't even know that was a job still. Mm. So some people anyway may be affected by that. I think a lot of it's because of automation or just changing technology. Uh, economy changes, you know, what's needed changes. And so that's that's an important part of, uh, you know, of being a, a good employee and having a good job uh, throughout your working career is you have to be adaptable because things change in every industry. True. And there will be some new jobs with the the technology that advances so maybe maybe people could slot in there if their jobs disappear yeah but the hard thing i guess is you get really used to doing something and then it changes and you know if you're older it's harder to Mm. maybe catch up to the new the new things that are going on uh here's a little interesting thing about the economy is it's doing better in some ways but there's still a lot of debt this is uh, from fortune magazine I-O-U-S-A, that's their uh, (laughs) clever little tagline there. And it shows the amount of debt between 2003 and 2017. In 2003, the corporate debt in the U.S. was $2.9 trillion. Today it's $6.1 trillion. The uh, debt of households was $7.2 trillion in 2003. Today it is $13 trillion. So it's not quite doubled, but almost. And the the big daddy the government debt in 2003 back in the good old days uh the government debt was only 6.5 trillion dollars today it's 20.2 trillion dollars it's amazing to look at that stat i didn't realize this but in 2003 the um household debt was actually uh higher than the uh than the government debt which is really really surprising or well maybe no maybe not it was really close they were very Mm -hmm. close to each other but uh, so both have gone up. The the national debt's really ballooned. Yeah, that that's that's easy to forget actually with how much it's gone up in recent years. To just think that it was well under ten trillion, you know, fifteen years ago. That's it. Just shows you how irresponsible the government has gotten with our money, and it's become so commonplace that we don't even really talk about that anymore. Yeah, when you factor in all of the debt, corporate, personal, government debt. The world's biggest debtors, number one, is Japan. Their debt is 388% of their GDP, followed by Canada. Their debt is 295% of GDP. Again, this is all the debt factored together. U.S. comes in third, 259% of GDP, followed by the U.K., 250% of GDP, which makes me think about the book United States and Britain and Prophecy. You know, We were the biggest lender nations. Now we're the biggest, just about the biggest debtor nations. Yeah, it, it took something like 100 years at least for America to even have any debt whatsoever. And now it's almost like we took from that forbidden fruit and we can't stop going back to it for bigger and bigger things. And I don't even know how that works to try to get rid of some of the debt or try to pay it back. I mean, if you look at the debt clock, it just goes up tons by the second and i don't even know how you would even keep that under control at all i think that's the way a lot of people feel you know it's like it's too big of a problem to really address so you just kind of forget about it and and hope that it (laughs) goes away uh the united states uh has a lot of personal debt of course a startling number of americans have debt that has gone into collections in other words you missed a payment or two and they're coming for you According to a December report from the Urban Institute, uh, an average of 33% of Americans have outstanding debt with collectors. We're not talking about having debt. We're talking about debt where collectors are coming. And that number exceeds 50% in many southern counties. Many southern counties in the United States, more than half of the residents uh, have collection people coming for them. 
and we talked about that. I think it was last week. Any time that you agree to make monthly payments, that is almost like a promise. And of course, if something horrible happens and you no longer have the money, then you just turn the item back in. But a lot of people probably just uh, don't feel like paying it anymore, and then that's what happens. You just get it taken away. Allendale, South Carolina, they have 68% of the residents have collections, people coming. Uh, uh, Louisiana is the state that has the most, 46% of the people there in Louisiana. Lowest uh, county is in uh, Minnesota, Cook, Minnesota, 86%. And the state with the lowest rate is uh, also Minnesota, 17%. They're living on fish up there from the lakes. <laughs> don't, you don't have to pay anybody for that. <laughs> no, it's amazing, though. I mean, if you think about that, <clears throat> you know, you drive. if you drove through one of those counties and you just looked and you, you just pointed your finger, you'd be like, well, you know, almost 7 out of 10 have, yeah. have collection people that are knocking on the door. That's a, actually a really dangerous job too to have to go to people's houses and, and take back some of their belongings yep. uh, as like a year or two ago i ran out of gas on the side of the road and so this really nice guy stopped picked me up took me down the road to the gas station then took me back after i'd gotten basically like a gallon of it yeah and uh he was telling me that he ha- he has to bring a gun with him that's his job and he has to bring a gun with him because if people get aggressive you just have to be able to protect yourself oh wow yeah well, some of those counties, you wouldn't have to even knock on the door. You just take it off the front porch, the living room furniture. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? You've seen that? You're like, that's a couch, and it's in the front yard. I don't know why it's out there. Yeah, that's that's like on a lot of these repossession-type shows, like all their stuff is in the front yard, and the guy could just show up and take it without yeah. anyone even knowing. And that, like people in general could just take their stuff without them knowing because it's all right in the front grass. I guess they just thought, hey, <laughs> we want to expand the, the sunroom. Just put the stuff out in the front yard, see what happens. Uh, so anyway, those are, those are not good numbers. Uh, you're listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at KPCGFM. Any emails you'd like to send, send those to comments at kpcg.fm. TheTrumpet.com today, the top story is Japanese military seeking first aircraft carrier since World War II. With what money? <laughs> they're poor. They have a lot of debt. Uh, but uh, they're building their military. The power behind the attack on Pearl Harbor uh, takes another step towards remilitarization, so they're really pushing ahead with that. And uh, so there's some uh, related articles there at TheTrumpet.com. Also, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Richard Palmer today. Make sure you listen for that. And a brand new Kia David this weekend, Jude Contend for the Faith. A brother of Jesus Christ wrote one of the most powerful messages in the entire Bible about true Christians winning spiritual battles. Make sure you stop and uh, watch that program at thetrumpet.com. The audio is here at kpcg.fm, and it's on television this weekend as well. So you can watch it on TV if you'd like to do that. Occasionally I'm traveling, not too often, but once in a while, and uh, maybe on a Sunday. And uh, if you're at a hotel and you flip on the TV, there it is, Kia David program. Yeah, I think it has 324 stations around the world. You would you would know about that, but that's uh, quite a lot of ways to be able to watch it. Yeah, it's uh, really some really great programs, so make sure you do check those out. And, of course, literature offered there, too, and it's all free at the Trumpet, or you can call the, the toll-free number if you'd like to. Uh, we've been talking this week about the seven laws of success, and uh, we want to talk about the uh, fourth law today. Uh, a person trying to be successful in life, trying to uh, uh, have success, may have chosen his goal, which is uh, important to do, and uh, it may have aroused tremendous ambition to achieve it. 
and he may have started out educating and training himself. Those are some of those laws we talked about for its accomplishment and may even have uh, the good health that's needed and still not make enough progress. Why is that? Well, success is accomplishment. It's doing something. And uh, as they say, any old dead fish can float downstream, uh, which I've seen, and I think (laughs) most people have. But it takes a live one to swim up. It takes effort. An inactive person will not accomplish. Accomplishment is doing. So this fourth uh, all-important law for success is drive. You have to be driven to be successful. We see that a lot of times in some pretty positive ways, I guess, when you look at, say, sports athletes. Yeah, and uh, he does mention they're floating downstream. I mean, it's so much more like that now where pretty much all of society is trying to convince us that there's all these different things we could do to basically be lazy but still get rich quick or just make sure that we're lounging around and enjoying as much free time as possible. Uh, It does take a lot of drive and effort to go against that pull. Uh, You just wonder how, like you said, a professional athlete even goes outside and, and develops those skills in an age where everyone is constantly glued to a screen. Yeah, it's, for example, you know, you'll always see, probably this time of the year especially, but you'll see all these ads for, say, a diet plan, or you'll see ads for the new workout machine or program. And, you know, in most cases, particularly with, say, the the exercise, probably all of them will work if you do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, they usually are selling something that's pretty basic. It's exercise machines haven't changed that much over the years. You know, you pull this, push that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But you have to do it. You know, how many homes in America have uh, treadmills that now, you know, have just uh, clothing hung on them or they're hidden (laughs) out in the garage behind the boxes or, you know, or whatever the case might be. It's, it's easy enough to get excited and to get the treadmill or whatever, whatever a person might do, but then not have the drive to do it. And that's, that's why there's, I think, uh, Andrew Loker was talking on the Trumpet Daily Show uh, a day or so ago about uh, how people will um, always go and get these self-help help books, but then they just go buy more and more and more. And I think in most cases it's because even if the book has good advice, a lot of times people don't have the drive to actually do what it says. So it's easier to go read another book than it is to actually implement what is being said. Yeah, it's like we were talking about earlier with smartphones. You get it and it's a new toy and you're scrolling around it for a while, but then it gets old and you have to buy the newest model. It's hard to stick with something for a really long time uh, for the amount of time that it takes. We talked about on the show before how uh, to get in good physical shape. It takes about an hour of moderately strenuous exercise every day of the week for six months, and then you can get in shape. That takes a long time, and that's a big time time commitment as well. You got to go out and do something even when you don't want to. Uh, and that's a lot of times uh it says half-hearted effort might carry a person a little way towards a goal but it will never get him far enough to reach it and that's something that's probably not stressed enough even in education but certainly not not in like you said the way society presents things it's the get rich now it's the get fit now it's whatever the case might be but what but what about the drive what about the effort to do it you know nobody falls you know backwards into a pot of gold usually <laughs> maybe maybe in some cases people just kind of like out on those things but in most cases when you see successful people they have a drive even if it's you know something that's not good they have drive to go get it so uh but when he certainly put it towards positive ends 
that's uh, it just has great rewards. But that's a thing nobody can make you do. Nobody can make you have drive. That's a really personal thing. Yeah, and almost every case where people do fall into wealth, it's uh, because of a family member who passed on an inheritance or something like that. That is uh, that that took someone else at least working hard usually to pass that money on. It's not like it just comes out of nowhere. The money always has to come from somewhere. The uh, whatever great accomplishment has to come from somewhere. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to to make anything of worth of any true worth uh, come about. Yeah. Mr. Armstrong, who was writing this uh, booklet here on the seven laws of success, he gives a personal story about when he was a younger fellow when he was about 22 and he had a hard time getting up. I mean, how many people can relate to that? Uh, many. And uh, <laughs> so it, it can take a real struggle for uh, some. It's harder than others. And so he he was having a hard time getting up. So it got to the point where he actually started paying the uh, the bellboy, I guess it was, or the attendant there at the hotel to make sure he got up every day. Uh, probably wouldn't have that happen these days, but back then that was that was pretty normal, I guess. And he would pay the guy to just make sure that he got up and really got going. And, uh, you know, that's drive to um, to do something. And he, he put his money where his mouth was in that case and said, I got to overcome this and what's it going to take? I got to pay somebody to just make sure I get out of bed. That's usually how it works. We have to make some kind of monetary or time investment or some some sort of really over-the-top efforts to break through the barriers that are holding us back from becoming real successes in life. Uh, he had to have that bellboy stay in his room until after he had showered and gotten dressed. It wasn't just knock on the door and leave. He had to he had to pull him back out of bed if Mr. Armstrong tried to get, get back in there. I mean, it, it was something where Mr. Armstrong really had to work hard to learn how to work, uh, wake up early. It wasn't just a matter of deciding it one day and then it all of a sudden changed. Yeah. He had to put the, like he says, I had to put the prod, he had to put the prod on himself. And in this case by, um, you know, <laughs> being kind of extreme with it, but he had to do it to, to get out of the habit of, uh, sleeping in too much. And once he did that, broke the habit, then he was, he was fine. But he says here that uh, often workmen never rise above whatever job they may have because they don't just don't have any drive. Uh, they slow down, they work slowly, they poke around, sit sit down and rest as much as they can. In other words, they have to have a boss over them to drive them, or they would probably starve. And he says they would never have become uh, successful farmers because there's no one putting a prod on you. You have to go out and do the job yourself. But that's a really interesting thing to think about. Uh, you know. We none of us want to be that. We don't want to be that person that, well, that guy's not going to do anything unless somebody's <laughs> right there cracking the whip. Everyone wants to be sort of self-motivated, but uh, it, it takes effort uh, and takes breaking bad habits to uh, then have that, that uh, drive that we need. And it's easy to have drive for things that I guess, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's more natural to have a drive for something you really want. But sometimes you find yourself in a job that you don't love. But if you have enough drive to do well at it, oftentimes that better job comes along yeah and it, it really does some for a lot of people it does take someone else pushing them i've talked to a lot of people who uh, their entire job is being a supervisor they don't themselves have to drive the delivery truck or install the electrical conduit they just they just are making sure that people are actually staying on it that that does uh i mean that does show that a lot of us need uh, that kind of a prod. And a lot of us can put that prod in place like Mr. Armstrong did. Uh, but even even in terms of uh, education, the way that we have to have 
teachers assigning us reading reading projects or assigning us a, a, a writing assignment. It's it's not something that we'd normally do on our own, and we have to have someone pushing us. But hopefully, we can get beyond that point and 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 find whatever fire we need, whatever the motivator is to actually uh, drive ourselves instead of having someone else do it for us. Abraham Lincoln was a really interesting example of drive. He, after his first uh, term in Congress, he he definitely had, uh, he felt like he had good abilities, but he knew he didn't have quite the education that some others had there. And he and it, he became aware of it. And he didn't like that fact. And he he, he thought, uh, he, he noticed that with the other uh, people there in the Congress, uh, compared to himself, that he didn't he didn't think through problems in the same way. And he just felt like he didn't have quite the logical mind training that he needed. So when he went home, he got this really, I'm sure it was boring book of all these different math problems, like a full on textbook. And he, and I, he was already a lawyer. He had a job, but he spent time. Uh, of course he wasn't distracted by smartphones and such, <laughs> but he spent time and he went through the entire book and he did all the problems and he worked to improve just the way his mind thinks. There was nobody there telling him to, it didn't matter if he got it right or wrong to anybody else. He could have just quit. No one would have cared. But he drove himself to do that because not because he wanted to be better at math. That wasn't even his job. But he understood that getting good at math would just help his logical thinking. And he went through the whole book. He said it was one of the greatest uh, accomplishments he felt like of his life because no one made him do it, but he did it. And that that was a uh, you know an educational uh, situation that wasn't directly even related to him. It was in a in a you know a logic sense, but not in a math sense. So. Uh, that's really impressive drive when you think about it. And by the way, that is a good benefit of math. I spent a lot of time trying to convince students that it was worth learning. Uh, but there you go. It just shows that you do have to put in effort to something. Uh, and, and sometimes whatever it is might not be pleasant, but think about it. If we just only did things that were pleasant in life, uh, we'd be like that, that animated movie from years ago where everyone, weighs 600 pounds and is floating around in like this clear plastic bubble and they have all these remotes at their fingertips and they can just pull up all these screens out of nowhere at, at any time to watch i mean that's that's like the kind of life of comfort and ease that we would choose if we never did anything that was hard to achieve something that's actually a lot more valuable yeah i mean if you think about say the drive that a lot of people young people especially will put into their online profile, which, you know, a lot of it doesn't matter. There could be some benefit, but I mean, if they're putting up pictures of themselves or whatever, we read that, talked about that story yesterday where there's so much depression and anxiety because people are, young people are so concerned about their image online. How much time and drive and effort is put into something like that? If you, if you, if, if a person just stopped and said, well, how much time and effort do I put into these different activities? Like you talked about doing an actual journal where you write down the time you spend on different things yeah, and then so well you know this this isn't even relevant me putting up Instagram pictures of myself I'm going to use this time to you know learn to be an engineer or something I mean what could people do if we harnessed our, our mind power and our drive and and put it towards something practical it would be, we'd probably astound ourselves very true because all those minutes tend to add up if we put if we put your, those minutes toward that it's a lot like saving money if we cut out the fast food runs and, and whatever else we 
waste money away on. It's amazing how fast that money actually accumulates. It's the same thing with our time. It's the same thing with any of our other resources. If we're allocating them the right way, it's actually incredible uh, what can result from that. What you did that for a while, right? You track. You did a journal where you tracked your time. I've tried doing it. I, I do it even just every once in a while to keep myself honest, just because uh, otherwise hours can slip away without you knowing where they went. Yeah. What did you find anything shocking that you care to share with us? Um, probably, probably like TV time sometimes would would add up to several hours, uh, and it was like. I wasn't watching a game or anything. It was just like here and there. I'd flip it on, see what was going, see what was happening. And all of a sudden, it just accumulates more than you think it does. You know, I think one area where it's difficult to have drive is sort of those in-between moments like you're talking about. You're done with your day at work. It's not quite bedtime. Eh, you got some time. I was in that sort of that boat last night where I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I really want to do anything, but I don't want to. It's not time to go to bed yet. And uh, um, I'm trying to think if I made good use of my time or not. I think it was okay. (laughs) 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 But it's very easy to just sit back and say, well, I'll just flip on the TV or whatever. And I'm saying that's wrong. I mean, there's time for that, I guess. but, But there's a lot of moments like that in life. And that's where it's hard to put the drive on yourself when you could do something beneficial, but boy you just don't want to (laughs) (laughs) it's even like that there's there are pockets of time just throughout the entire day five minutes here 15 minutes there where we think oh well it's not really a big block of time so i can't use it uh too too productively when we would actually be surprised what we could do in 15 minutes if we actually put our minds to it drive is an important uh part of life uh, mr armstrong says uh, the lack of drive is one reason so many must work for others. I work for somebody else. <laughs> it's not always a bad thing. Uh, it says they cannot rely on themselves and they must be driven by a one of more energy and purpose. And that is true in a lot of cases. Of course, it's a generalization. But without energy, drive, constant propulsion, a person need never expect to become truly successful in life. You do see that even in, we were talking about sports earlier. And they, they often talk about, particularly, I guess, with basketball would be a good example, uh, the guy that is the best player in his high school. He's just better than everybody else, taller, faster, jumps higher. And uh, so he has success. And then he gets up to the next college level, and then a, a portion of them wash out because they didn't have the really the work ethic or the drive. They were just better than others. And if they don't learn to get the drive pretty quick – well, everybody's now six eight, <laughs> so so a group washes out there, and then there are some that even are still are talented enough in college, and they go on to the professional level, and then that last group kind of washes out to mm. where, okay, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that are like that. You had you had the raw material, but you just coasted by on that. You never learned to put the prod to yourself, and then you have other guys that become the greats because they had the ability. And then they put the the prod on themselves. They had the drive as well. And there is definitely a reward at the end of driving yourself to the the pinnacle. I mean, in the case of those basketball players you're talking about, a lot of them can can make close to a billion dollars in their career just from being the very best. I mean, how many guys in the NBA could at any given time score 30 points in a game? But they do it so rarely that they don't get paid like it. I mean, it, it is a matter of just 
having a few sleepless nights sometimes or doing whatever it takes just to make sure that you reach the level that your potential dictates. Well, the great ones, if you're looking in the athletic field and you read into a little bit of them, they are very driven people. They have to be, you know, no one's at some point, nobody else is really putting the prod on them. They're, they're working out in the middle of summer, Mm. you know, and they're, they're, they're getting up early to go in and they're committing themselves. Now, again, it's to a sport. So, I mean, it's not the most important thing in the world, but the principle I think is good. If they want to be great and they want to sustain that greatness, they have to, they have to drive themselves. I I think of uh, Shaquille O'Neal, for not having drive. No offense, Shaq, if you're listening. But, uh, you know, he was just a, a, a giant man. <laughs> and he had a lot of athletic ability, so he is considered a great player. But uh, he was notorious for, not you know, coasting on that. And so he still was very good, but they always say, can you imagine how good he would have been if he would have worked hard? Because he just, he never put in, he didn't put in the work like he should have. So he, in that case, did get rich, but how many extra championships could he have won besides the four that he already did i mean there's always more you could attain there's always a greater reward awaiting those who put in more work i mean kobe bryant won five Shaq won four i mean just right there you see the one who worked harder actually got a a bigger reward from it and if you if you ever watch any sports talk shows and they have the former players on there you can sometimes you can kind of tell who didn't really have the drive because how quickly they get big after they stop playing (laughs) 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 they they, they aren't doing anything now (laughs) some guys seem to kind of stay stay at it so anyway drive is a very important uh law for any of us no matter what our career or whatever our endeavor is it can be a you know a financial goal spiritual goal family goal if we don't drive ourselves to uh have success we're not going to have success that's the fourth law of success, and, and probably one of the harder ones, is having that uh, drive to stick with something, especially when, um, you know, it takes time. Like, you don't see the immediate benefit, or you've been doing it, you know, you've been jogging for a month, and you just don't see the results. You're going to keep going or quit? Yeah, when you're tired, when you're sore, when you're just not in the mood to do whatever you have to do to be successful, that's when you really learn how committed you are to whatever your goal is. I mean, if if we just give up or we take it easy on the days that we don't we don't have all the perfect factors in place well then that's that's going to really keep us from achieving success yeah too cold today can't go do anything <laughs> uh make sure you get this booklet the seven laws of success it is at the trumpet.com and it's free also uh this weekend make sure you stop and check out the uh, trumpet.com and some of the top stories there one of them is uh, japanese military seeking first aircraft carrier since world war ii trumpet daily radio show this weekend also the new key of david jude contend for the faith and uh, there'll be a new Watch Jerusalem program and a Trumpet Hour Weekend Review. So plenty of things to listen to this weekend. Of course, Grant, uh, you will not watch the Bills game. Instead, you'll be listening to the programming. <laughs> during the Bills game, during the, actually. During the Bills. will <laughs> do both of them. We were talking, just uh, one last note. We were, do you remember how many minutes it was since the last time the Bills were in the playoffs? Like 27 million something, 400 some thousand <laughs> minutes some, since they last were in the playoffs. Somebody actually sat down and did the math. <laughs> I saw the headline the other day. You know, we were talking about it before, and I said, wow, that's uh, when you when you break down how many of your years that is into minutes, you know, it, it doesn't seem that long. You know, and I'm glad I don't have a counter on my life that I know of, you know, to where it's like you watch the, the minutes fly by. That would go by a lot faster because every minute, a minute is ticking away. It takes a lot longer for a year to disappear. So, yeah, it's a big difference. It was funny. The the bill sent uh, 1,440 
pounds or 1,440 wings Saw that. to the Cincinnati Bengals because yeah. they helped the Bills make the playoffs. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it is uh, even thinking about just the topic of drive that we were discussing there. If you do think about things ticking away a minute, second, a minute at a time, it does kind of put the prod on you to mm-hmm. make make it take advantage of those. Uh, so that's uh, all the time we have for this edition here of uh, Trumpet Radio Live uh, on this weekend edition. Have a great weekend. Hopefully it's nice uh, where you are. Make sure you listen for the Kia David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up uh, as well. For uh, Grant Turgeon and myself, Wayne Falk, have a great week- weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.